As we continue our study in the book of Job, we are going to look at Job's humble responses today based upon his circumstances. We have read Job 3 and we'll touch on that a little bit later, but just as we kind of look at what we've been studying the last couple of weeks, at certain times during reviewing when it comes to studying a series, it can be a little tricky. And the reason why is because, and this is one of those times, and the reason why is because we kind of have a choice. We can just kind of move right along and just give a very brief review, or we can try to keep everyone up to speed. I mean, in in the days that we live in, you know, there's folks that travel. Of course, we have illness. Uh, We have work situations that go on. And so I'm going to... um, uh, err on the side of caution to try to keep everybody up to where we've been. So I, I simply say that partly to say, be patient if you know everything I'm going to say, all right? But, but it's going to give us an opportunity to collect our thoughts, and I think that's going to help us to also be able to look at the next part of this more effectively, okay? So I'm not going to say that the review is going to go long and drawn out, but you're, some of you are probably going to say, I've, I've, I've got this, I've heard this. That's okay. We're going to bring, make sure everybody's up to the same point, okay? Because if we don't have some of these underpinnings, we might have some understandings, misunderstandings as far as you know, what's going on with, with God's decision-making, and also uh, we might not be able to then apply some of the things that we're looking forward to. So a couple of things. First off, we're going to look at this as in, in a matter of scenes as we go through Job 1 and 2. Uh, the first scene in the beginning part of Job 1 is what who Job was, okay? The first scene takes place on earth. We saw that Job was a very righteous, rich man who was greater than anyone else in the east. And that would have been obviously indicating those outside of Canaan. If you go west, you're in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. I don't think that that was any reference point there, okay? So it's east of Canaan, east of what we would call modern-day Israel, and that area of the Middle East Job was the greatest one in the region, all right? Job has a vibrant, successful farming estate with many workers. He probably had um, also a vibrant trade uh, um, uh, career that he had. And there's every indication that he had a good family life. Job also maintained an active personal relationship with the Lord. And so that's what we learn in a nutshell about Job. But then when we go to the second scene, it is where God challenges Satan. This scene takes place in heaven. So we go from earth, then we go to a heavenly scene um, in the spiritual realm where Satan presents himself to the Lord as the other angels did. Satan's first attack happened after Satan came, reported himself to the Lord, and then the Lord asked him if he had ever given attention to Job. Meaning, have, have you? And the phrase there is, have, have you set your heart on him, right? In other words, your will, your emotions, everything, have you considered who he is uh, as he would go to and from, uh, to and fro across the earth? And then the Lord challenged Satan. Uh, God himself, as the Lord challenged Satan, God himself declared Job as this, he said in verse 1, 8, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So just as a 
note here as just pause so we can kind of relate to this. Have you ever had somebody kind of talk you up for something and you're like, uh, I'm not sure if I can do that, right? You know, every once in a while, like somebody will, you know, say, you know, oh, you know, he, he can do that, right? And it's like, well, maybe, maybe not, you know, just because I, you know, have a computer doesn't mean I can fix them, right? For example, right? And so there's times when maybe we start to get a little concerned. Now, obviously, Job has no idea what's going on. That's the thing we need to keep in mind. But this is God himself saying, have you considered this very faithful, righteous, godly man? Okay. Satan then answers, in a nutshell, well, how can I? How, how, how can I consider him? Meaning, how can I get after him? Because I can't get to Job. You're protecting him. You have a hedge set around him, a barrier. Well, in the process of things, God gives Satan permission to test Job. And so then Job, uh, Satan leaves heaven with God's permission. Which then brings us to Satan's first attack. And just to kind of go through that, his first wave of attacks, there's actually a multiple attacks. Uh, and, and these, we, we don't know when the time frame was, but we do know that uh, Satan was able to coordinate all these things. Okay? And to the ability or to the limits that God gave him, he, he uses abilities to go to the limit that he possibly could in going after Job and his possessions. So what we see is the Sabaeans came and they stole and they killed. Okay, they stole all of his oxen and, and his, his donkeys. And, and we think of that as, okay, you know, they're animals. No, this, this is how he plowed his fields. This is how he fed himself and fed everything else and everybody else in his, in his estate. This was very important. They were all gone. The sheep and the shepherds were consumed. They were consumed by an amazing lightning storm that took place. It's called fire from heaven. Almost always refers to lightning uh, unless it's direct fire, which it wasn't. And so, so we have uh, the, the sheep and the shepherds consumed, burned up by this lightning storm. The Chaldeans then came and killed the servants and stole all of his uh, camels, which of course were then again beasts of burden. They were the the um, semis of the day that would take things from here to there, and and that was then all gone. And then we saw last that Job's children were all killed. Devastating attacks. There's a pause that takes place. Again, we don't know how long, but there was a second time where. We have the storyline moved to heaven, and Satan again presents himself to God. So God continued to challenge Satan. It's interesting to point out that Satan did not bring up Job when he visited heaven again. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Satan did not initiate the first one. But he definitely didn't initiate the second one. Well, why? He failed. He had no interest in admitting that he was wrong. 
And that was exactly what took place. I mean, figure it out, right? Someone full of pride and totally self-centered did not want to be uh, shown that they were wrong, right? But again, the Lord permits Satan to attack Job within the limits that God set. So then that brings us to Satan's second attack. And we see that in Job 2, 7 and 8. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. Like his first attack, Satan did as much damage as he was allowed. Because what did God say? He said, don't kill him. So he gave him the very worst possible he could without actually killing him. As a matter of fact, when we, when we see this, this some, there, there's different ways that people describe this, but ultimately you got to remember, this is, this is coming directly from Satan. This is, this is special, so to speak. Not, not the kind of special like, oh, that's special. This is a special, like a really bad kind of special. All right. But let's see how, how this was described as we looked through it last week. He was covered in inflamed, seeping sores. Okay, and again, we're we're not having pictures of possible illnesses here. Okay, Um, he was in constant pain. Worms invaded the sores. Okay, now that probably happened over time, but that did take place. There was a revolting stench. Both his breath and his body stank. He experienced weary restlessness. We saw some of that even in what we read in Job 3. His skin was blackened and peeling, and he had a burning fever. The the reference basically says that he felt that fever in his bones. So this was a full body fever that he was experiencing along with everything that took place on the outside of his body. And again, like we said, if he was completely covered in these sores, how could he sit? How could he stand? How could he lean? There was nothing comfortable about this. There was everything extremely painful about this. Especially when we understand that these eruptions, what these welts, whatever they were in his body. I mean, we've all had some of those things. You just brush against it. You, you, sometimes even your clothes, right? They just drive you nuts with it. It's painful. He had no relief. So today what we're going to do is we're going to layer Job's responses in with his experiences. And the first thing that we see is that Job praised the Lord during devastating loss. I want to read for you Job 1, verses 20 and 22. And then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Now, remember, we're putting this after he lost everything, but his body had not been touched yet. This was his response, okay? This is after the first attack that Satan went after him about. And we know that Satan's contention was that Job was only loyal to God based upon the circumstances that God had given him. And they were good ones. All right. God bless Job and everything that he did. He was an extremely wildly successful man. 
But Satan thought that once Job felt his relationship with God no longer benefited him, then he would turn his back on the Lord. Instead, after Satan ruthlessly took or destroyed everything that Job had, obviously except for his wife and, and his, his home, but I mean, everything was literally gone. Uh, that, that took place blow after blow after blow, right? They all came in rapid succession so that he couldn't even take a breath. As one was talking, one of the, one of the surviving servants, then the next surviving servant talked, then the next one. After all of this, Job responds, Job stood up and tore his outer garment and he shaved his head. These are both signs of deep distress or grief. And Job fell to the ground. I'm not trying to be cute here. It's, it's not that he tripped and fell. This was deliberate. But he did not collapse as a result of being overwhelmed by his circumstances either. Job wasn't even falling to the ground in sorrow. His position had nothing to do with Job himself. It had everything to do with the Lord. He was prostrating himself before God in humility and submission, worshiping him. Wow. See, if we just read it quickly, we might get this idea that he was just overwhelmed and just fell to the ground. He was overwhelmed. And he did fall to the ground, but that wasn't why he fell to the ground. He fell to the ground in worship after losing everything. And so many that were close and dear to him. Before we consider what Job said, we need to understand that this simple line communicates, although Job was understandably in terrible distress over the loss of all of these things, what did he do? He expressed his devotion to God. Then he acknowledges that none of what he has lost was actually his. Isn't that what he does? He came into this world with nothing and he would leave with nothing. That's what he, that's what he declares. It's... It wasn't mine. It was all given to me by God. But, you know, and, and we, we say this a lot of times kind of tongue-in-cheek, but this is the reality. We don't take it with us. So he recognizes that God had given him all that he had. He also understands that the Lord allowed everything that he had to be taken and taken in the way that it was ripped away from him. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He then says something so simple but so profoundly real. Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord. The word blessed means to give honor or praise. And what couldn't have been a long amount of time, right? It wasn't like days passed or even hours when this response came. Job came to terms with his circumstances. He accepted his loss. He acknowledged everything comes from God, and God could take it. And he then expressed God's worth back to him. I, I don't ask this question in an antagonistic way, but simply ask. What would your response look like in these circumstances? Yeah. 
Is it safe to think that we would respond to a catastrophic but hypothetical set of circumstances the way we respond to very real circumstances that we already face? Let me say that another way. We can look at Job's circumstances and we can wonder, what would I do? Well, we can look at circumstances that we're already in right now or have experienced and look at how we've responded and we can know. (laughs) Right? It's something to keep in mind. I, I believe it's something that God wants us to learn through this. He praised God during devastating loss. The other thing that Job did was he showed wisdom during painful illness. Just to read these verses again, and he took for himself a potsherd, which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. This is after the second attack, right? Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? And all of this Job did not sin with his lips. Now again, we have no idea the length of time in between Satan's two attacks. We know that in his first attack, there was a period of time that took place from when he got permission to when he did it, and he worked everything out, and he calculated everything out, and he had everybody, uh, all these actors, including his own self, using, using natural elements to come against Job, boom. One after the other. And actually, probably all happened instantaneously. It was the the messengers that happened one after the other. But we don't know how long it took from the time that Job was first attacked until uh, uh, Satan appeared again to the Lord and God challenged him again by basically saying, it didn't work, right? Right? What we do know is that unlike his first attack, Satan immediately went out after Job and struck him with the illness as soon as he had permission from God. Isn't that what the scriptures tell us? He got permission and he went out and he went after him. It was almost like, man, I made all these plans and everything and I get everything all coordinated and man, it was, this, is, this is a good plan. That's a bad plan, but it's a good plan, Right? In Satan's mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him. He's going to fall. And he didn't. So now it's almost like I'm just getting after him. And I'm getting after him personally. Yes, everything that happened was personal, but this was to his body. Satan expected that this attack on Job's body would cause him to walk away from God. He didn't learn the first time. He's still very full of himself. He's never really going to learn. But as he attacks Job again, he still expects the same outcome. Now, Job responds to this attack, to this what we read, this, this, this terrible attack. Uh, skin disease ailment whatever it was that he had that was just so painful he took a uh, there's a couple of nonverbal things that he did he took a broken piece of pottery to scrape his sores and he went out 
and sat in a pile of ashes. Now, in our culture, it's like, what? What do you mean he sat on a pile of ashes? Well, this was the deepest outward show of mourning. And it wasn't just something that was unique to Job. It wasn't even something unique to what we would call Jewish culture. This, this was something that was, that was a Middle Eastern, uh, you know, Eastern type of mindset where you showed how an awful of condition you were in by either sitting in ashes or sometimes taking the ashes and sprinkling them on you. And some even say that it was kind of related to that whole thing where we say, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, where this is what I'm relating to. You know what I mean? Like it's, I, I feel like death is kind of the idea. We also know that Job's wife then tells her husband to curse God. We talked about that last week. And I just want to make sure that, again, even with a little bit of review that we clarify, uh, I truly believe that, that what happened here, not to excuse anything that his wife said. It was some, a, a terrible, terrible thing that she said. But I believe that rather than her being some, you know, tool of Satan, some puppet of Satan, I believe that she was overwhelmed by the circumstances. I think if we can look at Job's wife as, as how not to respond, next to Job's how to respond, I believe that's what we're looking at here. All right? Some say that Job's wife said what she said even out of love. You know, just curse God and, and, and stop all of the pain. Right, because she assumed that cursing God would mean death. Um, but again, it didn't just stop there. There was still that attitude there of just, I'm done, right? So at this point, Job is at his lowest point. He has lost nearly everything. He still has his life. There's a couple of household servants around, but we read later on that they don't even have anything to do with him. His wife is overwhelmed. She is pretty much out of the picture, and he is left alone. He's all alone. Probably either just outside of his estate, immediate estate area, or maybe just outside of town where the ashes were dumped, you know, whatever, and that's what he's sitting on. But Job's response to his wife was both measured and wise. Again, regardless of his wife's motives, advising her husband to curse God was a very foolish thing to do, let alone to say, right? To think. But she said it. But we cannot miss the fact that this is exactly what uh, Satan wanted to begin with, right? Curse God. So how did he respond? He declared that a person of faith must be willing to accept both good and bad from God's hand. Now, when we think of bad, right? See, this says, this says in the scriptures here, accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? When, when, when I say bad, it's not necessarily evil, right? Although Satan is evil, but it's, it's, it's the negative things. It's the negative things that take place. It's the things that we look at and say, that's not positive for me, right? Even though we believe that actually it may be, right? 
But what's also interesting is, is that this is not the relationship that people had with their gods in the ancient Near East, relationship with false gods. People made sacrifices to gain the favor of their gods, not to necessarily just express their worship. And again, I want to stress, we're talking false gods here. If a harvest was bad or diseases broke out or there was some other kind of natural disaster, then the people took steps to make sacrifices to appease the gods. They just required more. Let's do more. And then they'll feel better about us and things will get better. But the problem was that these were made up gods, so they resembled the people who created them. <laughs> That's never a good thing. <laughs> okay? Since people were writing the script, their standing with their God, their false God, was determined by experiences and circumstances. If things were going well, then the gods were pleased. But if they were displeased, then bad things happened. So the false worship was followed. that followed was a combination of invented rituals to make their gods happy and reactions to circumstances when bad times came. Now, here's the problem, folks. Sometimes we can resemble that. And what we have here in Job is a long lesson, but an important lesson. He's given a lot of press time here to help us to break from that thinking. And we'll talk about that more. Of course, this type of worship gives rise to superstitions, to good luck charms, and all kinds of desperate practices in the name of religion. I have had privilege, opportunity, whatever you want to call it, to go to some other cultures. Um, I was in one of the uh, most um, elaborate um, uh, pagodas in all of the world in, in uh, Myanmar. Uh, they basically say that, uh, I'm not going to try to tell you the riches, but it's, it's amazing. The, the pagoda is literally covered in gold. Okay. And inside are, are basically the sacrifices that people make. The, the jewels and gold and all kinds of other things. And, and it's all over inside of the pagoda. Outside, everything is marble. And there are multiple Buddhas. Not, the, not the, what we call the fat and happy Buddhas. That's more secular Buddhism. This is the more skinny looking Buddha who has a, a little bit of an Indian appearance. Okay? And his statues are everywhere. And there are people sitting and praying and giving sacrifices, okay, even something small, okay? One of the things that they would do while they prayed was they would go over and they would take, uh, they had like a little laver and, and, and they, they would take some water and they would pour it over the statue. I, I, I did not ask what that was for. I will tell you, I was with some people that were fine walking. Oh, by the way, we had to take our shoes off, our shoes and socks off. You had to walk barefoot because you're on holy ground, okay? Now, I will tell you, this was not necessarily someplace I wanted to be, and I didn't like the feeling that I was having when I was there. It felt oppressive, and I'm not just making that up, okay? But I'm just telling you, all of the rituals, all the different things that they did, all the steps that they had to take was all made up, right? So that they could have a good life. 
But Job's response indicates that his faith, his faith in the Lord was not based upon circumstances. I want to bring that very short phrase in again to what he said. In all of this, Job didn't, or what was said about him actually, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. How about you? Not necessarily would you sin or not, but have you ever looked at a specific part of your life that you consider bad, right? And ask, does God really love me? Have you ever been to that point? Maybe you've considered your whole life, right? Your life as a whole and said, the Lord must not be pleased with me. In other words, we evaluate our relationship with the Lord based upon our circumstances. Now, I'm not talking about clear times when God might bring us under correction. Okay? That's not going to be a mystery to us. We're not going to be going, what happened? How, how, what caused this? Okay? We're going to know. There's going to be something that's going to be related to what we did. Okay? But there are plenty of other circumstances that come along. And I, can I say for certain that every time something uh, bad, so to speak, happens to us, that God has a very specific lesson for us? I don't know that I can say that. I mean, there, there are things that I don't want to say they just happen, but I'm not sure that, that there's necessarily a lesson every time specific to that. I, I just don't know. I know that we can learn from everything we go through, but there are certainly times when God is working on us. Very deliberately, very practically, and very purposefully. So as we bring this story, this part of the story to a close, we need to recognize that Job's response to his wife was directly in line with what he had said about God after Satan's first attack. Isn't that right? God gives, he takes away. Hey, how, how, do we, how do we sit there and say to, to my wife here that I'm, I'm, so it's only good if I get what's good from God, right? Job understood what he was under, what, he, what was against him, what the test was all about. So another change in the circumstances, no matter how personal and awful it was, did not change his understanding of who God was or his relationship to the Lord. Is that not a good working definition of living by faith? Living by faith through the circumstances. He recognized them. He was experiencing them. It wasn't like he somehow you know, meditated and everything felt good, right? No. In real time, he was suffering. But then I want to reference, uh, again, more just introducing and acknowledging Job's suffering this morning. In chapter 3, uh, we read that earlier in our scripture reading. Job had despair during unimaginable suffering. Despair is a total loss of hope. 
That is what has filled Job's heart and became his life experience. And we read that very graphic testimony of his. He regrets that he'd ever been born and feels that it would have been better if he would not have, if he would not have experienced the life that he's experienced up to this point. But wait a minute. This, we're not talking about a long period of time here. What about all the time before that? Again, I'll ask you, are there times when circumstances overwhelm you when you find yourself in a situation where you can't see anything else? That's where Job is. What's also interesting is that he sorrows over realized fear. Did you notice that toward the end of the passage? He said, what has come is what I feared would come. <laughs> now, now let's, let's just let our minds, let that sink into our minds for a minute here. We already said who Job was. We already said what he had, right? This guy was rich, filthy rich, as we would say. Except for the filthy part because it was all a blessing. But you, you get what I'm getting at, right? He was extremely wealthy, wanted for nothing. His children enjoyed his wealth along with him. He was so rich. He had a happy family. He had everything going for him. If you, if you, you know, took that you know, snapshot of life, that snapshot of family, that snapshot even of spirituality, Job's would be ideal, Right? And yet, here's Job saying, but you know what? I had some fears. <laughs> I looked at what I had. I mean, come on. It doesn't say specifically, but we know where he was going with that. I was afraid of losing what I had. Remember when he said, I was afraid my, my, my kids would, would they, if they would somehow curse God, and, and then his, their, God's judgment would be on them? He was worried for his family. So there is an anxiety that we can have with our life. We can look around and we can say, man, I have some things. God has given me stewardship over some things. Not just physical, but spiritual as well. And even we could even say, yes, physical, but health-wise. And we can look around and we can say, I'm afraid, I'm afraid to lose that. I'm afraid that God will, will pull his favor from me. That, that's what Job is saying here. And he's even anxious because he expects more to come. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? Right? I mean, he's devastated. So he responds amazingly in that first attack. He responds a very similar way, very wisely, in the second attack. But he responds in a very human fashion. I don't believe sinfully, but in a very human fashion after the fact. As, as, as this all sits, sets in, he is 
in deep and terrible sorrow. All right. Now, again, we're going to explore that subject a little more next week. But as we kind of conclude things here, um, we cannot lose sight of several important facts. Job is not the victim of some bizarre contest between spiritual beings as if God has no regard for him. And we know Satan didn't, but God did. God had actually a high regard for Job. Job is not being punished for sin. So again, if we're going through something and we can rule that out, then we know it's not a punishment. God allowed, hang on, let me better say that. God actively arranged for Job's faith to be tested as far or farther than any other person. Another fact that we need to remember is that testing will come. We're told that. As a matter of fact, we're told that God tests us because he loves us. That we need to grow. And so therefore we are tested. It's no different as far as principle than we're talking about in school. What is the measure by which you have learned something? You're tested. That was not a fond part of my growing up years. Okay, I'm just going to tell you. All right. I graduated very strongly right in the exact middle of my class. I mean, right in the middle, okay? Uh, average. <laughs> What's the point? I still had to be tested. I still had my, my knowledge measured. Well, we need to be tested by God. We need to have our spirituality measured, our faithfulness to Him. The things that He cares about, our character. Another fact that we have learned, the best way for God's desired outcome to take place as he tests us is if we are maintaining godly character that we have already established. We can't miss that as we consider what Job goes through. This is also what we learned through Colossians when we were talking about putting off the old and putting on the new and the different things that we mentioned there. So we can't think of how we might respond based upon our circumstances. We have to understand that we need to be ready regardless of what circumstances come. As we mentioned last week and considered today, Job maintained his integrity. Job maintained a character that he already had developed through an obedience and devotion to God himself. Today, I want us to consider what passing the test means. In reality, how many of us have ever faced a direct attack from Satan? We, we really don't know. By the way, Job didn't know. <laughs> Job's is an extreme case that the Lord wanted the world to see. But through this, we can learn and be assured that whatever comes into our life, God allows it to take place for his purposes. This book tells us that passing the tests of life are to produce two primary things, to bring glory to God and to affirm 
and strengthen our faith. It may come down to asking ourselves a couple of questions. Do we have the right overall perspective on our lives? Do I have the right perspective on life? Or am I too concerned with circumstances? Or am I fearful of what I might lose in this life? As I mentioned before, God's testing is purposeful and measured. The one thing that we can take away from this is that God asked Satan if he had ever considered Job. All right? And, and, and folks, I, 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 don't, I don't mean this like I'm, I'm in there too, right? I, I don't know that God would give the same definition for me, sadly, that he gave of Job. All right? Now, again, Job was not sinless. But he made sure that his relationship was continuously right before God. And we'll even see some of that through the book. But the reason why I say purposeful and measured is this. He's not just going to come and allow, right, something to come and just destroy your life without you being prepared for it. And it doesn't mean that that's ever going to come. I mean, seriously, if, if this was the way that God affirmed every believer, what would all of our lives look like? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that we, some of us, and maybe even all of us, haven't gone through some difficult times. But it's not this massive wham, everything gone with, with no hope for the future, with no one to help us, right? Job's situation was extreme. I mean, as extreme as extreme can be. It doesn't belittle what we're going through. It simply puts it in perspective. And so God's testing is purposeful and measured. Not tongue-in-cheek, uh, you don't measure up, so you're not going to get anything really bad. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is God knows what he's doing, and we need to trust him for that. But also looking at what we just saw, Job was also human. He grieved deeply over what he had lost. It affected him to his core, folks. And again, next week, we will take a closer look at Job's grief. And as we do that, we will also consider grief in the life of the believer. Let's look to Christ. Lord, we have seen some difficult scenes, some difficult situations in Job's life. And there's probably down to a person in this room we're thinking to ourselves, well, I, I really hope that something like that doesn't come my way. And yet at the same time, when we really consider, albeit Job, not knowing all the details, when we consider your purpose behind it, what an honor Job had. What, what an amazing opportunity Job had 
where everything and everyone was stripped away. And it was really just him and you and the enemy. And taking anything and all that the enemy could give to him, could afflict him with and inflict him with. Aside from what God limited. Lord, you work through that man's life. It didn't start there. It started with a gracious relationship years and years in the making. And so, Lord, we thank you for what you have built into our lives. We thank you for your graciousness. And, Father, I pray that if there's someone here who does not know you as Savior, who does not know the graciousness, the, the gift that we don't deserve in Jesus Christ, of him giving his life for us, I pray that they would respond to you in faith even today. Heavenly Father, we, we need to submit ourselves to you. And we need to look beyond our circumstances. And one of the best ways that we can do that is to know intimately who you are. And Father, as you reveal yourself to us and as we respond in faith, I pray that you will bless us, that you will encourage us, that you will grow that faith in us. And yes, Lord, we know that some of that is going to come through testing. Father, prepare us and strengthen us and may we be motivated by your spirit to be prepared and strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen.